0: Everybody. Welcome back to Exodus for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's merry mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today's episode takes the X-Men from Krakoa to Valhalla and everywhere in between. First up, Maddie, Kyle, Nathan, and Robbie discuss the most recent issue of Wolverine. They look at the intricacies of Ben Percy's plotting, as well as the complexities of the brilliant Kubert Arden. This was such a pleasure to edit for me, hearing the team come together and share perspectives and learn from each other and come to appreciate the issue more through discussion. That's the whole reason you make a show like this. I hope you guys enjoy.
1: Hey guys, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of X's for Podcast, where we assemble together to cover all the goings on of all things X. My name is Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous.
2: I'm Kyle. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S 82
3: hey everyone i am robbie and you can find me at age of Polaris on twitter
2: and it's nathan
3: you
4: can find me online on twitter and instagram asking weird random questions
1: at dazzler aoa dazzler aoa And we are gathered together once again to bring you today issue number 10, Mercenaries of Wolverine, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Kubert, colors by Frank Martin, letters by VCs Corey Pettit, and design by Tom Muller. Wolverine's investigation into a recent robbery committed by the Mercs led him to Legacy House, which specializes in auctioning rare superhuman paraphernalia, including Logan's severed arm and his former Team X teammate Maverick. After snapping Maverick out of his mind wipe and freeing himself from the grip of the merchant, Logan finds himself on the run from the CIA through the streets of Madripoor. Thanks to a last-minute extraction from the mercs, the two former teammates are able to mobilize to Texas and destroy a warehouse of the remaining collectibles owned by Legacy House. With their mission complete, the pair travel to Krakoa for Maverick's first time and seem to make peace with one another potentially for the last time, though that may be complicated by Maverick's later meeting with Dolores Ramirez of the X-Desk. Now, that was a mouthful and a half. And this was a very dense issue of Wolverine, a resolution to the previous issue. So just a two-issue arc real quick to bring us out of Ten of Swords and into 2021. How did we all feel about the pacing and conclusion of Ben Percy's latest run?
2: It was, yeah, like you said, very dense. Um, A lot of stuff happened in these two issues and especially in this one. And for me personally, it felt a little, overwhelming uh, between the way that the pages were laid out and just the amount of stuff that was happening.
4: I totally had that same feeling. The panel layout, especially in the first two pages of action, really, I found it hard to get drawn into the story. Just all the, the blank white base really took me out of it. I, I get what they were trying to do with it.
1: It just didn't flow as well for me. You know, I think it's so funny that you said that. And Robbie, I absolutely want to get your thoughts first on Wolverine
3: yeah I definitely agree with uh, what Kyle and Nathan said it sort of felt like stuff I would expect from like older Wolverine stories like it didn't really seem mm, something like refreshing okay I guess. Yeah. you know
1: I, I understand that and I can definitely understand that sentiment I just want to piggyback for a moment to Nathan a point that you just made about the the art and the handling of the art in the first few pages with all that negative space, you know, I thought personally that the art on this arc has been exceptional, exceptional work from Adam Kubert, but the formatting of this issue really was, for me, the highlight of this Wolverine run to current. I think the consistent use of asymmetrical, interspersed rectangular window panes served both as an excellent vehicle for highlighting the beats of heavy action sequences at seen later in the issue, but also... For what you're saying, I thought that it was a great analog for the space between thoughts in regaining memory. Is how I chose to read the formatting of those pages against that stark contrast of negative space. Oh,
4: I kind of when you put it that way, okay, I, I can kind of dig it a lot more. And like you said, the art has been amazing. This issue, it just, it was just the weird framing that kind of just didn't do it to
1: me. But when you put it that way, I get, get I really get what they're doing now. And you know what, it was, it was definitely a thing. In that sense, it took me, it took me my second read because I reread these two or three times before we cover them, just in the interest of being thorough, and because I have a little bit of OCD and a lot of OCD. So <laughs> having said that, I on on the second read, I was like, wow, you know, this is this is not only, you know, analogous for the Maverick Mind White aspect of this two-part arc, but this is also synonymous with Wolverine's famously spotty memory. I thought that that giving room for thoughts to breathe and not having a natural like formatted segue between them to structure the panels together was just like pieces missing from a puzzle in that way. What did uh, Kyle, Robbie, what do you think about the, the use of the, the, the panel and the spacing between the first few pages?
2: I I definitely can understand where you're coming from with that, um, especially now that you've explained it. But, I mean, it really, really threw my brain for a loop. Having all that negative space there. I think it took me like two or three times reading the issue to really understand what was happening, but that may just be the way that
1: I process things. You know, no. it, it very well could be. Robbie, what, what were you going to say?
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was definitely going to say the same with that. Like, it's one of those things where just giving it like a quick little first read through, like, I didn't really pick, like, kind of pick up on that very quickly like the use of that and how it was framed and but that like um I definitely get what you mean how it might take a second or third read through to kind of appreciate that more of how it was set up. For sure,
1: I think I and I definitely understand where where you and where Kyle are coming from in the in the vein of not having gotten it, and even still, when you'd you'd gotten there, in a sense, the negative space still throwing you for a loop. And I think so much of that is is a reflection on some of the less sung uh, aspects of comic creation. Uh, for that matter, I recently sat down and reread "God Loves, Man Kills." in correspondence with our own coverage of it for audio and video, and the use, the heavy use of black pages in the negative space, the fact that there is black instead of white beneath the panels, as innocuous as that seems, really through my brain and it took it took several attempts to get through it to really understand the artistic merit behind it so in a lot of ways you know considering this is a heavily visual medium it's it it sinks or it swims but i wanted to talk a a lot more about the content of this actual issue i you know i have a history of being somewhat unkind about the, you could call them plot points of convenience that litter the majority of Wolverine books. But having said that, having the merchant be ready with magnetized gloves at just the right moment was just the right amount of on the nose for me. <laughs> I did love that. That
4: was amazing. I liked the gun that he had from uh Frank Castle, which for some reason has a phoenix emblem on it.
1: Ooh,
4: what a weird
1: catch! I didn't even notice that.
4: Yeah, I didn't until um, the page where we see Dolores come in. Oh gosh, probably like the fourth page or something. It's like a close up on the gun, and for some reason, I'm like, "Why did Frank Castle have a phoenix <laughs>
1: gun?" I, I, you know, all I can ask myself is why wouldn't Frank Castle have a Phoenix gun. Um, if anybody's That's a going to question. like if anyone's gonna collect weird, rare, bizarre firearms, it's probably gonna be Frank Castle. You know what I mean? <laughs> if it were anything else, I'd be like, this is pretty weird. But I, you know, speaking though of things that are that are a little weird and speaking of things that are a little on the nose, it isn't very often that a man who's five foot four and built like a vending machine with distinctly identical fiable hair. just trapeses through a superhuman auction. I feel <laughs> like I feel like, this had to be, and, and I just finished saying, I, I can be unkind about it, but I secretly love the plot points of convenience that are synonymous with writing Wolverine. This is not an attack on Ben Percy, whose work I have loved since I discovered him in another Wolverine property, Wolverine the Long Night Podcast, mm. is where I genuinely fell in love with Ben Percy. So truly, gun to my head, I don't have anything but kind things to say. That said, when you write Wolverine, you lean into these tropes, you know? And I think Madripoor plus evil kind of equals Wolverine is one of those tropes. How did we all feel about another Wolverine and Madripoor story?
3: Mm.
4: I... uh... I always have those flashbacks to the early Wolverine where he was Hatch and, you know, they had, I shouldn't mention her name because of karma. And like, he's like, hey, kid. And she's like, oh, you're Patch. I don't know who you are. It's like, come on, you know it's Wolverine. But you know who it is. He's not
1: like, he's not even wearing pumps. You know what I mean? He's not even trying. It's like he's himself. got an
4: eye patch, and like his hair is still like you said. His hair is so recognizable;
1: it's insane. And and really, I I genuinely, in spite of myself, love this side of Wolverine storytelling. I okay. absolutely love the idea that Wolverine becomes Patch, and people are just like, "Oh my god, who is who are you, stranger?" It, <laughs> it makes it makes no sense to me, but it's it has to be fine, you know. I. If we're just going to talk about locale for a minute, because clearly we we are brought to Madripoor for a reason, I want to say that Madripoor is pretty much Marvel's go-to for any international wrongdoing. I don't have a wealth of experience on Madripoor. I'm familiar with Madripoor for its namesake and for its recent inclusion, mostly off-panel, but by reference in the House and Powers era and the Dawn of X. Does anybody here have a favorite issue or arc set in Madripoor? Uh... Um, and, and I, and if not. <laughs> We will do. cut this question completely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do. I have. Uh, there's
4: actually two that I really like. Um, going back to what I just mentioned earlier, like the, the first ten to twelve issues of the Wolverine solo series were amazing. You, he had such a well-rounded support cast from Jessica Drew to Lindsay McCabe to Tiger, Tiger, Tiger to Karma to like just everybody, and like Mister Fixit shows up. So like that arc, I love so much. And then a little bit more recently, my more favorite Madripoor arc would be um, the. Recent um, death of Wolverine, one where that C gets her original body
1: back. So I was like, Yes, so
4: yep. I always love that. That's the
3: one that I was thinking of. It's a good one, I, I love that,
1: <laughs> and I, I really. Truth, truth be told, I wrote this question for you, Nathan. Um, <laughs> I just, I had a feeling. I, I genuinely had a feeling, and it's nothing against Kyle Robbie or myself. I was just like, I feel like Nathan has some favorite Madripoor stories. Oh yeah, like, that just seems exactly. like something that might be very specifically you. And so good for <laughs> good for all of us. <laughs> now to jump back for a moment, because you made a you made a reference of her recently with with Dolores Ramirez. Correct me if I'm wrong. But this is the first out-and-out act of aggression by Dolores Ramirez and the x desk And the idea of the CIA's willingness to buy a mind-wipe mutant clearly establishes the ideological opposition between them and our heroes. Do we think that this is a one-off instance? Or can we expect a, a more direct and, you know, rapidly increasing pace of confrontation between the X desk and our heroes of Krakoa.
2: I definitely think that there's going to be some escalation. Through the data pages, they've made it clear that they don't trust the Krakoan mutants. So I think they're trying to collect their own mutants that currently don't hold allegiance to Krakoa. It, I, for what purpose? I don't know. But it, it does worry me a bit.
1: I imagine them knocking on Pete Wisdom's door like, Pete! <laughs> Pete! Come come with us, buddy. It's cool. You got You got hot knives and we're real into that. We're super into that. They <laughs> are and not into, into Perkoa. <laughs> <laughs> Um uh, I was gonna say with the
4: X desk I don't think there's so much anti mutant, they just have their own particular agenda and like even in Marauders, they've worked a little with Storm in the mutant, so they they know how to play it to get their own agenda. Um, I think they're gonna play it really coy
1: for us. Okay. Okay, so we have two distinctly different takes on the the escalation, as Kyle put it, of future confrontation. Robbie, you're the tiebreaker then.
3: Uh, it's one of those things i'm honestly unsure about it's
1: okay that is entirely (laughs) fine because it, it truly could go Either way. Yeah. And and if we're being honest, in discussing his work, Ben Percy has been a one-man army in pushing the agenda of the X desk in his books. And with this act of aggression on behalf of Dolores Ramirez, it's safe to say that things are coming to a head. Quickly or slowly is yet to be determined, but things are certainly coming to a head. Do you have any thoughts on how this international incident in particular is going to ripple out into Percy's future work on Wolverine or possibly X-Force?
4: Ooh, I could see this would be a perfect sort of arc to pick up in X-Force because obviously if, if they're going to start active acts of aggression against Krakoan mutants, like what better place to pick that up than in the Krakoan CIA?
1: It, it, it truly is the the perfect You know, maybe even too even an opposite foil for the X-Desk agenda to be pursued in the pages of X-Force. It it makes almost too much sense for, for me to not believe it'll happen
2: yeah i agree with that um x-force really does seem to be the best place to have some kind of uh conflict or confrontation i don't think that putting that on the shoulders of just wolverine himself would be the most efficient storytelling
1: i think that if nothing else ben percy is is nothing but efficient with the the use that he makes in progressing these these especially in in the run of Wolverine, that we've seen across 10 issues, which intersected with Ten of Swords for two issues. So, really, in eight issues of Wolverine, in case nobody but me could do math, um, it's a joke. Kaha. I think that he has made such an incredible use of 22 pages at a clip to progress these stories that still feel very much in the vein of the current goings-on of the X-Universe while still being distinctly the flavor of a Wolverine story and I think the same could be said for X-Force if for if only in spite of it seeming to miss its trajectory. I think X-Force hasn't settled on the book that it wants to be yet, but every issue is still Excellent utilization of pace.
4: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's kind of why I was just, I was just like, it kind of just hit me when you were saying that it's not totally super related, but why sometimes Wolverine feels like a little bit more of a, a throwback to the 90s, like I know uh, we had mentioned earlier, is because it's the only solo t- title with the well established character. I mean, cable is a well established character, but the cable that we are presented is a, the new, young, fresh teen cable. So we get to approach that from different stories. So I think with this, uh, Wolverine is just kind kind of felt like more of a backwards title just for that reason. But I do think that the storytelling he's using,
1: especially in the Krakoan, um framework, is is pretty master. I, you know, and I'm so glad that you brought up Cable as a benchmark reference there, because yes, Cable is incredibly recognizable and identifiable, but not this iteration of Cable. You're absolutely right. Wolverine is the one currently running solo book that is immediately recognizable. And I think in the interest of turning our gaze away from from the man himself and looking back at the scope of what mutant life is now on Krakoa, I I have found myself thinking that the last issue, the merchant made a point to mention the possibilities and potentiality of sending a mind-wiped or mind-controlled mutant through a Krakoan gate. And it's not at all a surprising concept to be coming to us from the man writing X-Force in its current iteration, focused so heavily on threats made to the island. But that said, Maverick is a competent and trained killer, but I really don't see how he would make the best sleeper cell to send to an island full of Omega-level telepaths. I feel like especially considering how easily Wolverine was able to bring Maverick back. The Legacy House knew they had to be selling a lemon and they knew it. So I have a question to spin out of this, but first of all, what what do you all think of if Maverick were turned loose on Krakoa? What could he really do other than other than collect information and do do like reconnaissance?
2: I'm not sure. He's depowered, right?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah.
2: So uh I mean he could bring his guns <laughs> <laughs> maybe if he gets too close to the five he could do some damage there but i <sighs> I'm really not sure beyond collecting information what what benefit he would be.
1: You, you right, like that's that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, hey guys, like I'm depowered, <laughs> but I'm still a mutant. This is my Maverick voice. Oh, I really? love it. That's amazing. Uh, I am I am uh, depowered, but I'm still a mutant, and I've been gone for like 18 months of publication, and I'm here now with my guns. And don't think anything of it. And everyone's just supposed to be fine with it. Like, I understand there's an incredibly dense population of mutants living on Krakoa, not to mention the mutants that vacation there. And I'm sure the influx of so many comings and goings is a lot to keep track of. But don't forget that is specifically Sage's job, one of.
3: Mm-hmm. They're, they're, yeah. they're,
1: the second he shows up, someone's going to be like, that's weird. We should check on that. Like any of these Weapon X, Team X, X affiliates, I would just constantly keep like a red flag on their file. And maybe that's just generalizing. But I just feel like, look where look where Sabretooth ended up. Look at the the recent, even the last 10 years of publication of Wolverine. Oh my God, he killed everybody. Oh, he's old now. He, it was just... there's there's always something going on with those guys. Like you can't take your eye off of them. So if Maverick showed up, I would just be like, "Mm, that's, you know, check red flag. I, if you though, were given the, the reins in a sense to mind control any one wild card mute, a better choice than Maverick in the interest of like really doing some damage and Omega levels excluded, who would you pick to be your Trojan horse?
3: Oh, to really
1: fuck some shit
3: out? Madeline Pryor. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Ooh. I have her cosplay
1: as Jean, though. I dig it. Uh, I'm I... only concerned again. Well, I want to hear everybody's. Okay, everybody give me yours.
4: <laughs> I would go, if I'm going to mind control one mutant, it'll be karma. So then that way I can mind control all the other mutants. <laughs>
0: Hey everybody, welcome back. Now in this next segment, Rod, Raven, Dante, and Robbie talk about the most recent special issue Marvel's produced, Marvel's Voices, which was a collection of stories to celebrate Black History Month by Voices of Color. And this was a tremendous special. There's so little I can add that these guys didn't already talk about and I loved editing this and we
5: hope you guys love it too i'm Rodders. you can find me at rod the on twitter and instagram
6: hey i'm raven aka dame red bento and you can find me on you know dame red bento just type it on in you can find me all over the place especially on twitter can't wait come see me
3: hi everyone i am robbie and you can find me at age of
5: Polaris on twitter
7: hello uh this is dante and you can find me on instagram and twitter at inferno magic
5: Alrighty Rue, and today we'll be talking about Marvel's Voice's Legacy number one, which is celebrating Black History Month, which is already over, but we're gonna talk about the issue that was celebrating it. The title of the Miles Morales story is Words Do Matter by John Ridley, Olivier Corbell, Laurel Martin. All right. And what did you think about this story, Raven?
6: I really liked it. I mean, even though it was uh very simple and it relied on the artwork to get your to get the message across. I think that it played really well as a short story, and it got it got so much across without having to say much, and it really had good impact to it. So I was happy with it.
5: Nice, nice. What do you think about it, Robbie? Oh, I absolutely loved
3: it. John Ridley is really good at being able to use just like a few words to really get the message across, really piece together, really perfectly.
7: Nice, nice. What about you, Dante? Solid story. Even again, even if it is a shorter story, visually great. I thought I, I do really enjoy the art. I also really do appreciate, even though it is a celebration of black history, the diversity that's included is really nice to see. We have America Chavez, we have Jubilee, <laughs> I mean, like, even that. Slight bit of diversity and that really the, what the story is celebrating is diversity so it's nice to see that added element
5: yeah yeah honestly I have to agree I like that they in this whole story I like that they gave him like the hobgoblin I think that is hobgoblin right hobgoblin villain I it so. kind of works with like the spider-man villain aspect that he's like the next like big spider-man and I have to agree with Dante I my, probably my favorite part besides going through Miles Morales' uh, life seeing how he works is that we get to see the all kinds of different types of heroes because usually I feel like when you get like... um other heroes helping maybe a spider person you get like Captain America Iron Man something like that to degree mm-hmm. but this time we're like no we get Storm Jubilee, America Chavez and then we get War Machine mm-hmm. so that's a really good mixture of different kinds of people and more heroes you don't get to see on the forefront as much in main books so I love that. Definitely. Nice and then the next story that we have in this Marvel this really good Marvel Voices issue is called Decompression.
6: So Decompression was done by Mohail Mishigo, Chris Allen, and Rachel Rosenberg.
5: Nice. And since Raven, since you're already there, what did you think <laughs> about this Rebu Williams story?
6: I absolutely loved it. I would, I would love to actually see more stuff like this. And it, it felt really great because not only did you get... Um, You know, so the action adventure of, you know, a superhero doing their superhero thing. But then you got to actually see kind of a slice of life. And this young woman just being a kid, you know, like, relaxing and chilling with the girls and honestly that means everything to me because so often it's like oh we have to go to outer space now we gotta go over here and save things oh now we gotta you know always action constantly going kind of thing and this really just felt like slice of life and it was wonderful and i loved it so yeah i was super happy with this one
5: yes yes i definitely agree what about you robbie
6: I definitely
3: agree about the slice of life part and how that was a really good touch for this story. Cause even in like the current champions book, the characters are, uh, they're struggling. <laughs> So it's really nice to see um, these characters who are kind of really going through it in other books, especially with like Ri-Ri, Shuri, and Kamala, Mm -hmm. to see the three of them kind of just having a
7: nice night. Mm -hmm. Like it's refreshing to see
5: Definitely, I I think it is definitely refreshing.
7: I really enjoyed this little just to jump on the bandwagon slice of life. It is really fun to see superheroes getting to be regular people. We need that. We need our heroes to be grounded because otherwise, how do we relate to them? How do we relate to people who can fly or you know can stretch or you know have these amazing abilities to create you know amazing technology? If we can't relate to them, this was so much fun, and I love that their little hangout lair hidden you know pad is like such a like a fangirl hangout because of all the Mm -hmm. memorabilia (laughs) that's on the walls like I mean we get we get a little bit of Monica Rambeau I think Mm -hmm. I remember seeing some storm in there I mean it's like yes Mm -hmm. I love this you know it's just it's just fun and it has that youthful energy while still being Mm -hmm. a, a superhero story yeah
5: Yes, yes, I definitely got to agree. I love the memorabilia with the uh, Monica and Storm. And I love that even before that, we get to see, you know, Ruby Williams as Ironheart, you know, kicking some ass, you know, mm-hmm. like really using her her AI to benefit her and showing that she has strategy and that she is a force to be reckoned with. I mean, she took down four different types of people on her own. Like that's that's amazing. And then I love that they get Manny Petties and okay, <laughs> So I'm a little biased. I love that they have the dessert, which is pie, before they actually start cooking dinner.
6: Yeah. Like,
5: that is my favorite. I like, that's, the, I definitely didn't start with that. My fiance, um, Chango at ATX, um, <laughs> had definitely got me onto that. Like, you have to eat your dessert before you eat dinner. Because then, how do you have room for dessert after dinner? Right. Just a little tip for the listeners right, right there. <laughs> but, I, I mean, Riri Williams and Shuri had the connection in her solo run mm-hmm. and i love that they and she has a connection with kamala khan so i'm glad that they bring all three of them together to have that moment and then they have that little sanctuary with that and that's mm-hmm. that's amazing for them to have like these girls of color just to come together have a have like a area for them just to chill out and be themselves and not just always focus on superheroing
6: mm-hmm. i think one of the most poignant things was I think it was Sherry said, Oh, well, you guys can come here anytime you want to. You know, it's, it's, it's open. You can just come on in. And Riri was like, Well, yeah, but it's not the same without you guys here. So, like, it really showed that these heroes have interpersonal relationships and it's not just them going out doing their own things. And occasionally they might, you know, have a night in together or whatever. It shows that they actually have relationships that they are working on, that they are building, that they have outside of just being heroes
5: yes yes definitely I definitely agree with that I love that um, that point of view that we get now the next story is a Monica Rambeau story which I'm a little biased because I love that writer and I bought her um, her little story that before she got hired by Marvel mm-hmm. it was called uh, Living Heroes and that's uh, by Stephanie Williams and she's amazing but first the title of the actual story is Panic at the Supermarket and it's you know by Stephanie Williams, Atasta Bustos and Rachel Rosenberg now, Raven, how would you like this story by
6: Monica? Oh. This was so cute. I absolutely adored it. And again, it was this great slice of life where you're seeing heroes just going about their everyday instead of always having to do like action and adventure. And I thought it was so hilarious because, you know, Monica's being Monica. And even when she's being an everyday person who's just shopping, like she's over the top. And the same thing with Thor. Oh my God, he had me rolling in the aisles with just how like extra he was being but yeah it was it was really great to see that and also really great to see that connection to her mother and again it was all about building that that interpersonal slice of life everyday stuff that tends to just kind of get thrown by the wayside or just not addressed at all so this this was just it was so fabulous it was so nice and wonderful and i loved it it was just ah. Oh. I loved it. Made
5: me happy. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. I've definitely happy about that too. What about you,
3: Robbie? You know, for this being a two page story. It was honestly probably my favorite one out of the collection. And what I liked about it so much was just how the artist was able to really capture, like, you know, like the silly mannerisms that some of the characters might have. And even like a lot of the dialogue, like I just love how it starts off as Avengers assemble at the chop out.
5: (laughs) 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 Yes, definitely. And
3: it's, it's remarkable that it's, for it being two pages it's very memorable
6: mm-hmm.
3: and that's very hard to pull off
6: yeah like the pacing on it was so snug
7: yeah it was it's it's so cute and i feel like um they had they had a great conflict and resolution all within those two pages uh you know, like oh my gosh we forgot an ingredient and the superheroes are are of course like ready to take charge but monica's mom's got it like she's fully capable mm-hmm. She comes to the rescue. I love it.
5: Oh, definitely, definitely. And I just, I need more. Like, Mm -hmm. I need to see the aftermath of when they actually go to dinner, make the dinner, and have the dinner. Like, I need to see that. Um, I'm hoping that, so like I mentioned, Stephanie Williams, she is, I believe, an up-and-coming writer. I think Marvel's doing more things with her. Mm -hmm. Um, So we might see more of that. She might write that in the stories that she's doing. I don't know what she's doing. I have no insight. But I'm hoping (laughs) with whatever Marvel's hiring her as, that we get to see a continuation of the story because it was like Robbie said, it's probably one of my favorites as well.
6: Mm-hmm. So, Good Luck Girl was done by Toshi Onobushi, Ken Lashley, and Juan Fernandez.
5: Nice. Now, this was a Domino story, which was the one of the biggest stories in here. It had the mm-hmm. most panels, mm-hmm. which kind of makes sense because I mean, Domino is a, an established character, and mutants are hot right now. Mm -hmm. So I get that. What did you think about it, Raven?
6: I I like this one. Honestly, this one was heartbreaking to me because I I know that it had like it had more pages to it. And I can understand why they were trying to give you a bit of a slow burn um, as much as they could with all these short stories. Um, But yeah, to like to see the development of, you know, you know, Domino is a badass and it's great to show all of the luck going on when she's, you know, doing her thing. But then to also see it when it goes wrong and how that sits with her and how it it's an integral part of her life that doesn't just you know go away when the job is done and i'm like the the fact that they they paced it so uh carefully and so well it really you know it got you into the mood for action and adventure and then it flipped it on you and showed you that yeah the good luck she has means somebody else doesn't get as much or has bad luck and so it has repercussions and that can you know hurt like innocent people around her and that was oh that was so hard to see because i didn't really even think of it that way until this story which was like oh damn didn't didn't think about that holy crap yeah
5: yeah definitely what about you robbie
3: i agree that this is one of the repercussions of her abilities that i haven't really considered before and it's that i i definitely really enjoyed it and i i kind of would like in the future for domino even though it is that to see like more things uh like situations i should say Mm -hmm. of that this could happen with like say like if they're on a team for like x-force or something it would be cool to see i mean it would suck for the other character (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know like what if you know she dodges a bullet and um another character gets hit by it in the arm mm-hmm. like it would i would kind of like to see more of that in the future but overall like going back to this story i uh, i really
7: enjoyed it a lot
5: oh yeah definitely hope we see actually more repercussions of her of her left thing in the next stories but what about how do you think about it dante
7: i thought that the story really hit all the right notes it did have a little bit more page time for domino but like the the story felt just like an action, you know, mission story up until that last page. And then it turns and it turns hard. And like, yeah, it really got me like you. They maybe give you like the briefest hint at the beginning. But other than that, it's like, oh, she's just undercover. She's doing her thing. But the 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 reason behind that story, like, oh, it's I would say it was very impactful for me. Domino's a great character. And she is definitely somebody who has maybe like that cool, cold exterior, but definitely also has a big heart. And this definitely shows that for us. Oh, yes, definitely. I like how, like uh, all of you have said, that how it um, shows
5: off her mutant ability, how it affects others. It kind of hints at the Gail Simone um, solo that she had a few years back mm-hmm. with Domino, and it kind of showed that, and it kinda, I'm glad that that's like a callback with this story. And the, I feel like the, the my most favorite thing about this story is that Domino is basically confirmed as a Black woman. Mm -hmm. especially with like you know Deadpool 2 um, she's she's being like cast as a black woman, which is great. I love that actress. I want her in more things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always kind of like kind of saw Domino as a black woman, just you know, with like a skin condition because of her mutation. Mm-hmm. But it's never been like outright confirmed. And I feel like with this with this edition of this story in this Marvel Voices Legacy Number One, we basically have it confirmed now that she is a black woman. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I it was, like that.
6: It's it nice to see. <laughs>
5: it's definitely nice to see. And I'm glad. I just want more Domino. Uh, like I feel like Domino deserves the coins like she is a great character she needs more notice mm-hmm. so i'm glad she got in this book
6: yeah absolutely so the next title was a luda continua by neddy Okofor, chris cross and rachel rosenberg
5: all right and this story was definitely a story that took me for a loop because I was like well what's the hero in this story and I was like oh it's a symbiote okay that's cool that's cool so what did you think about Raven?
6: I, I found it very interesting because for once you weren't getting something from the viewpoint of America even though like you know you're, you're seeing these protesters gathering and so many people could easily go oh well this is like a, BM, a BLM protest it's like no, no 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 this is taking place elsewhere and like it, there have been protests all over the the world, but they haven't been getting nearly as much attention as say, like BLM, because we tend to be kind of um, very, very centric on ourselves. But yeah, like there have been other protests going on that have been protesting like, uh, you know, corruption within the police forces or within the military or within um, the government. And so to see this where they're taking on, you know, protests in Africa, protests in other parts of the world, it was great to see. And it was also wonderful to see like young mutants or, or people with enhancements doing their thing as activists and as protesters and not just you know world-renowned heroes going and doing a thing it's like no they're they're activists they're protesters they're showing up to stand up for what's right not because they're superheroes but because they are people who believe in the cause who are affected by this corruption and who know that they have to do this in order to help other people and it was it was it was i loved it it was well done
5: definitely. I I definitely agree. What about you, Robbie?
3: Yeah, I agree. It's really nice to see super-powered or enhanced characters standing up in protests, and especially for them to focus on the SARS movement in general, because it's a really important thing that's happening in Nigeria right now. Mm-hmm. And Like Raven said, <laughs> in a lot of like American comics, we don't really focus too much on other countries, and what they're going through so uh, i really like that and i hope that we get to see a spotlight on different country protests like in other comics in the future like this was a very smart choice
7: mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely definitely what about you dante i thought the story was great i'm not familiar and i don't know uh it, when it says that it's a tale from the verse. I don't know if that mm-hmm. means it's in 616 continuity, if these are existing characters, or if they are, are brand new for the story, if it takes place in an alternate reality. So if any of you can tell me that's great, I would love to know. But it was, it's really a really strong story. What I find so captivating about it is the way that the Venom character is portrayed and attached to this black woman in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. I, I love that representation. Definitely don't see enough representation of, of diversity with our heroes, but definitely like seeing someone who's handicapped taking the lead, really being an active part of, of fighting injustice. I just thought I just thought it was amazing. I really loved seeing this. Highly recommend this story.
6: Yeah, definitely.
7: Oh yeah, definitely. I like I said, this was a story that surprised me. That was kind of like out
5: of the blue for me, but I loved it. Like I've seen the protests for stars on the internet, and I did a little bit of research. But I'm glad that Marvel, in this more influential position of power, can like bring light to this and show that people are fighting. And even if it's like fictional characters in his story, it still brings to light. Like, cause they, you know, they show black lives matter protests and mm-hmm. books and everything. Now let's, let's show people are protesting all over the world. Let's show more protests that aren't just America and, mm-hmm. and more heroes that aren't just in America. And that's a good, that's a great thing to show. You know, let's not just Americanize everything. Let's let's bring all the world together so it can
6: be one. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Nighttime bodega run by Danny Lore. Delandro and Dan Brown
5: all right now I I get like this is another story with another writer that' that's, that's going to be a more marvel things Danny lore uh, they are going to be writing the New Champions book so with this with this story I was really looking forward to story to see how they write and I really enjoyed it. I like the blade in it, the, the you know, the hint of how the bodega influences the community and how important it is is if this is a an influence on how they write, then I'm excited for it. What did you think about it, Raven?
6: we had so many really wonderful great impactful stories right before this so unfortunately for me this one fell kind of flat like it wasn't bad i didn't i didn't dislike it or anything to that effect but um i think it would have been more impactful if it had been put in a slightly different area of the book because i mean you just had such an impactful uh, story right before it that it's like yeah and then the This is like it it doesn't quite hold the same punch, but I definitely see what they were trying to do here with it. And overall, it was it was an interesting story because you don't often see regular people standing up to, you know, these big, bad creatures like vampires. So to actually see them trying, you know, and especially especially when it comes down to like fighting against family. That is like super hard, especially in Latin communities, especially in black communities, and very, very much so in black Latin families. Um so yeah, this was it was an interesting way to kind of show a a different community and and kind of like what they're going through in their struggles. So yeah, I liked it. I think it would have just um, it would have felt better at a at a slightly different point in this book.
5: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I feel like it maybe should have been placed after the Miles Morales story, mm-hmm. or maybe even the Riri, like the more like heartfelt kind of happy go lucky stories. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what did you think about it, Robbie?
3: Oh, I definitely agree about it should have been earlier in the book. Did anyone on Netflix see the movie Vampires in the Bronx? <laughs>
5: I did, I loved that movie this movie, is, this, this This scene was definitely that
3: <laughs> yes, it reminds, like I think I might have enjoyed it a little bit more because I really loved that movie and I kept like thinking of that movie while reading this, mm-hmm. but I will also acknowledge that personally looking at all the stories this is one of my like least favorite, And but I mean it was nice to see Blade though mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I definitely agree. It's not like the top, but it's definitely like a good story where you're like, oh, we see Blade actually doing things. That's nice, you know. And a bodega. Like, when do we really ever see bodegas in comic books? Mm-hmm. But what did you think about it, Dante?
7: Well, I definitely agree that its placement maybe wasn't the best choice, but it was a fun little story about vampires. It had had a little bit of cheekiness <laughs> using mom's over garliced food to, to fight. <laughs> A vampire, like it's silly, but like it's fun. And if this was the last story in the book, like I would have been like, no, that was terrible placement. But Mm -hmm. the fact that we're not ending on this note, I was like, okay, it's okay. It was like a palate cleanser before we really finish things out. Especially coming Mm -hmm. off of you know something that was a little more real and a little more deep, you know, with the previous story. Mm -hmm. So you know, a little bit of levity right before we get to the last story. Again, also not my favorite, but it was. So it was fun. It was it was a cute little thing. Yeah, I definitely
5: agree. It's technically the like the last story if you don't count the St. Bodhi Storm story because that's also in the recent Black Panther issue. But luckily, the St. Bodhi story is in here. Mm-hmm. And that is one of my favorite stories because <laughs> it's a little biased again because it's Storm. <laughs> but um, before you even read this story, is I believe I'm saying her name right. St. Bodhi? Yeah. yeah. St. Bodhi is an up-and-coming um musician and she has like a little questionnaire before the story happens and reader if you haven't read it yet i definitely suggest reading it mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. heartfelt and it kind of brings like entertainment musician industry mixed with like comic kind of book knowledge mm-hmm. and i really enjoyed that little segment before the story so i don't know if y'all read that
6: yeah no i i read it and and it was actually really nice because this helps to kind of personalize the person behind the story and and That's actually kind of like one of my favorite things is getting to know a little bit of the background behind the story, because it gives the story more depth and and more meaning and and gravitas to it. So I, I enjoyed and was very thankful for the fact that they did that little interview so we could get to know the storyteller.
5: Definitely. And before we even go on, let me say that the story is Letting Go uh, by St. Bodie is the story. And Danny Lure is the script, which is the same one as the Blade story and the same one as taken Over the New Champions book. Oh. Um, the art is by Alita E. Martinez. And then Colors is by Rachel Rosenberg now this this I'm like I said I'm biased I love Storm and I was super excited this is my one I was super excited about the most and I'm glad it was the end that way I had the anticipation for it and this made me this story made me really excited for her the possibility that we're probably going to get a Storm solo soon because like Jonathan Hickman and all the other writers have
3: said I really really love this like there's this one little part where Storm says the way her voice and tears break tells me no one has told her a pain like this before and that was so like touching because you know she was able to you know connect with this child and show her that it's okay and you know that she could bring her to like a new home and keep her safe Mm -hmm. and this whole thing was just touching and if she you know or not if (laughs) when she gets that solo Mm -hmm. um (laughs) I really hope that we see like more moments like this. Honestly, it would, I would honestly expect to see moments like this. But with this, just this connection of her finding this girl and making that connection with her and being able to keep her safe, I loved it so fucking much.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, what did you think about it, Raven?
6: Honestly, I think. Overall, I mean, there were so many, like all, all of the stories were good. This one was the best. This was the storm that I've known kind of all along. So many people see her as a hero, as a goddess. And here we get to see her almost in a mother or mentor role and the kindness that she shows. She is not about to tell this child, oh, don't worry, somebody will take care of these bad guys. She doesn't try and destroy persuade her. She tries to remind her that she's a person, that she is a strong being, that she has worth, and that she's that she, Oro Munro, is there to keep her her from going down that road and fo- fulfilling that prophecy that so much of humanity has put on mutants that you're you know that you're a scary monster she saves her from doing not just permanent damage to people um, to humans she saves her from doing so much damage to her own soul to you know the way she channels her powers and her gift you know she sees the anger she sees the rage she sees that helplessness of a little girl whose family was was brutalized by these people and she shows her that she can still be safe she can still be a person that she doesn't have to go down the road that so many humans just want them to do so that they can label all mutants monsters and destroy them and the kindness the empathy the sympathy that she shows this young girl that's the storm that i've always known and that's the storm i love the most
5: man i couldn't have honestly said about it myself thank you raven uh what did you think about it dante
7: well now i feel like i'm the blade story following raven's critique which was so beautifully put honestly um i'll do my best though (laughs) <laughs> but to follow that. Your opinion no. is your opinion is valid, Dante.
6: Yes, yes it is. <laughs> And Nico can edit it.
7: (laughs) (laughs) This story was beautiful. I think sometimes when it comes to superheroes, we forget the person and we get forget the things that are personal Mm -hmm. to them. And sometimes you have to wonder why are there solo stories when when these characters are part of a bigger team, a family. And it's because Mm -hmm. there are these moments that are personal to them. And that's what this story really, really showcased. I mean, this is Storm understanding and relating to a girl who is going through a very difficult time and wanting to be there for her and yeah she could she could have brought a whole team of x-men she could you know she, she could bring the power of wakanda behind her i mean she has that influence but this, this was something that was important to her, to make that connection. And I loved it. It was a beautiful story, kind of heartbreaking in only three pages with a, mm-hmm. a beautiful, happy ending. And to have that kind of hope at the end of a story like this, I think is really, really important and very impactful. And I think it's the perfect way to end this the, the book as a whole. Um, it really, it just ties together everything that I think that we need to focus on in the world today. We need to lift each other up. We need to support each other each other and we need to make sure that love is the most important thing that we're putting out there Mm -hmm. y'all Raven and Dante singing the gospel I love it but yes I definitely
5: agree like I I love to speak on your point Dante I am really glad that Storm told Emma to stay back and like she said this is you know important to her and you know she, she understands that this child will need to be spoken to you know just one on one and have this connection because she relates to her because you know she also had her parents killed, and she also had that rage. Mm-hmm. And like I like I told you before, like all of you have said, I this is proven that she needs a solo, and that we need more a storm as the mentor and the teacher. Like so many people on Twitter, just everywhere, were so amazed by that one image of her teaching the students and teaching this new, young, introduced youth, and seeing her as like this big mentor. It was such a beloved thing across the internet. Mm-hmm. And this is what we want, Marvel. <laughs> like mm-hmm. This is what we want to see this about Storm. And I hope we see this mutant again. Like, I like her creating nature. And I want to see more of her. I hope mm-hmm. if if we don't see more of her soon, hopefully we see more of her later. Because she does exist now. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
6: <laughs> Yay! I definitely want to see more issues like this I thought it was great not just because you're getting like a bunch of of short stories in in one collection I love that but it felt like there was just so many different moods so many different voices and you got to see kind of a different side of some of our favorite mutants as well as new mutants who had a very different perspective on things so I would love to see more of this I I want to see ones from a perspectives from islander perspectives you know um they they did one that was native american but like let's go through let's keep doing this because it's a beautiful thing to really flesh out uh the marvel universe so i love it
3: i really want them to continue doing this and not just like a one-issue thing for like different groups like I want to see like them continue on and not just have this be like a one type thing
7: I will yeah, basically definitely. echo the exact same thing I think it's great that we're getting books like this it needs to be intentional and we need to see more diversity not just from the characters but the creators given the opportunity to make stories like this and have them available to a wider audience so I just want more I always want more and this is, this is definitely, we're moving in the right direction, but we always can stand for more.
5: Oh, yes. I definitely agree. Like we should have, I don't think we're getting one because it's not in the solicits, but we should have been getting a Marvel Voices Legacy number two of like women's, you know, women's month, which is you know March. And we should be getting one of um, Latinx culture and LGBTQ culture, LGBTQ plus culture. And this like Asian culture and all the other cultures in the world is making even if some of those heroes don't even exist make up new make more heroes be creative like make this representation that exists already just make it in hero story form because that's what people want that people want to be represented people want to see themselves in the books especially now like the audience is getting wider and wider by the day and this is what people want to be represented we've seen that in in the success of movies and tv shows like i I, like i agree with dante this is on the right direction and i hope it keeps going so
0: Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and in this last segment, resident Danny Moonstar expert Nathan leads a discussion with Robbie and Kyle, where they talk about Danny's position in the most recent Valkyries miniseries. Now, this Valkyries miniseries is sort of about Jane Foster, but also sort of about the classic Valkyrie you'd think of when you think of Valkyrie, but kind of also about an analogous version of Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie from Ragnarok. There's of course also the aforementioned Danny Moonstar, and a lot more, including The Century. This is a complex narrative that is so full of story, we already know it's going to bleed over into another miniseries, which could potentially see Danny come back. It's been an exciting journey to see Danny rise to prominence from the pages of New Mutants to where she is now, and we hope you guys enjoy this next segment. Before that, though, if you like what you hear, you might like what you see, so don't forget to follow us over on Twitter and YouTube at XIsForPodcast. If you want to help us keep the lights on, hop on over to Patreon, where you guys can donate and help shape the future of the show. As always, guys, we love talking to you, and if you like what you hear, hop on over to Apple and leave us a review, and don't forget to subscribe to not miss a single episode. Until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment. Segment, keep those mutant lights lit and keep those Krakoan gateways open and we'll see ya.
4: Hey everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Exit for Podcast. I'm Nathan and today we are covering Return of the Valkyrie number 3. Yes, the series has been amazing so far. You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA. That's on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA.
2: I'm Kyle, and you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's drantis 82
3: Hey everyone, I am Robbie, and you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter.
4: Alright, so like I said, we are covering Return of the Valkyrie number 3. This series started off a decent first issue, the second issue pumped it up for me, and this third issue kept, kept it for me, so I don't know where you guys are on it. But, real quick, to cover the credit, this issue was written by Jason Aaron and Tarun Girl uh artist was nina Vakuva. uh colorist was Hamra von villain and the letterer was VC joe
2: sabino uh, i was super happy to see hildegard again
3: <laughs> me <love> too
2: <laughs> She has become like i
4: bought like no lie i bought this series for danny moonstar but i'm mm-hmm. staying for hildegard
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that's well yeah that's that's pretty much what i was doing too and then they brought back hildegard and i was like yay
4: <laughs> and like just the little glimpses here and there of brunhilde like uh, like mm-hmm. i am like my heart is just like i never knew i needed a valkyrie series but now i hope this the valkyrie series is spinning out of this has a lot of this cast with it sure danny moonstar won't be a main character but if they don't have these other fine ladies that have been featured in this i'm gonna be upset
7: was <laughs> well, we
3: we'll we'll Speaking on like especially Danny Moonstar, you know, Marvel's been feeding us pretty decently lately in the past year with Danny Moonstar content. Oh like, my god, they have right. absolutely. <laughs> From
4: the native voices one mm-hmm. shot to the Claremont anniversary special to the features and the feature in Return of the Valkyries to this amazing restructuring of the new mutants title under Vita. Like oh and her like Danny Moonstar is like one of the front and center characters. I am eating this up and I am being well fed.
3: Yes. You know Marvel, you could uh <coughs> give her an ongoing, but <laughs> 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 Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> you know, just I would definitely that out. buy
2: that if they did.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, just, I already have know, the perfect her, pitch for it, but <laughs> like this series and like a bunch of those other storylines, she's obviously a character that could carry a story on her own.
4: Agree. And when you
3: when you run those, like, what's your top ten favorite X Men character?
4: Like, she shows up at, at, like an unbelievable amount of people's top ten X Men. Like, just oh, I'm so I'm always so happy when I see that. Like, you, you put Danny Moonstar. down and karma and you're my best friend so. <laughs> <laughs> um all right so into the plot of the story so we start off and we kind of get a reminder that this whole awesome female-led arc is really to help save the century with this nice little re-entry in the headless celestial do you guys feel that this reminder of what the story is all about was needed because i kind of forgot about century after two
3: months. okay i thought i was (laughs) yeah (laughs) sorry century it was good placement I would say definitely and one thing I also do want to add with this page in particular, the way the colorist chose to like, well, do the color for him. He usually always has like blonde and like or blonde hair and yellow outfit, but I really like how they kind of made his skin yellow too to kind of show like an all yellow and black type of design I for him. Love that! Oh my god. Yeah, like that I f- really love that the colorist's choice for that, for Sentry in this.
4: No, it's so amazing. I mean, he was always the golden boy and now he literally is the golden <laughs> boy. <laughs> so like, we'll literally like, he's the golden boy. Um, but no, just kind of like on on that, just like overall, like I, it's really, usually I'm like, oh, I love the writing more or I love the art more. Or I love the color more. In this book, it's been so well balanced. I am having a hard time saying, ooh, this is the one piece I love more about it. I don't, what do you guys just think about it so far? <laughs>
2: <laughs> i kind of have a hard time deciding what i do like most about it i mean i i turn the page and i say i see young hildegarden she's so adorable oh. and then you turn the page again and you you see uh valkyrie flying and and yeah everything is just like so well done and all the colors are great and yeah yeah. <laughs> and even
4: and even hmm. like because I've I've been noticing lettering more, right? So mm-hmm. even the lettering difference between like Hildegard herself, the font she speaks in, is totally different than Danny Moonstar and even um Jane. So I'm like, wow, there was just so much thought put into every little piece of this. It's just awesome oh, amazing. <laughs> um, so we get into so we go from the nice little splash page reminder of the century to the like Kyle said, the most adorable page of Hildegard is a little girl, which if that was a series, I would buy it up. Then we go into the main action. So we've got Danny, Hildegard, and Jane fighting the Yarn Demon <laughs> in New York. Um I love how Hildegard phrases it. They're going for tea tails and toes. Like they're they're just taking it down. <laughs> they were really only able to defeat the Yarn Demon with teamwork. Do you think this display of teamwork was strong enough to show the need for a group of Valkyries versus what we had for, for the last year just Jane by herself?
2: <sighs> um I'll be honest. I fell super behind on Valkyrie, so I'm not really familiar with what she's been dealing with over the last year. But I think that the way that they handled this symbiote dragon is was really well done. I mean, it was definitely with hildegard's knowledge from her youth but yeah i mean the way that they all work together even though danny doesn't have her valkyrie powers anymore yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it, it worked really well
3: uh i mean while i do really like the way it was drawn i personally would have probably liked if it would have been like a couple you know like a, a couple extra panels just so we could see like okay. a few more moves between them taking it down? I'd be down for that, too. I'd, I'd really be down for that,
4: because it, it was just glorious seeing these these three amazing characters just work together. So, like, I'm like, yeah. Um, so then, we get the juxtaposition from that teamwork there to a sort of a new set of teamwork. We've got Jane's amazingly sarcastic horse and our original Valkyrie. So she's fighting her rock creatures, and then she gets a little downtime with the horse. He gets a little sarcastic, and she gets a little drunk. Um, did did anybody find themselves surprised by the bond that was growing between this Valkyrie and Jane's horse? And was the humor injected? Did that hit the right note?
2: Yeah, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I like Mr. Horse, or is it Mr. Horse? I think it's Mr. Horse. I like his personality, and I do like that he's kind of softening up um, her, her her own personality, getting mm. her more comfortable with what she needs to do again. Especially now that she has her weapon back. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how she can grow. Allowing herself to work with others in order to further her missions.
4: No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think that was the needed step for her. And Jane's pretty astute to send her horse with him, With her. I'm sorry. She's, <laughs> astute. She's astute to send Mr. Horse with her because he he's just he had a way of getting to her um beaking of bonds with horses so i am just dying over the fact that danny and brightwind have been together for two minutes and they're already like thick as thieves like bonded at the hips again um was anybody else super excited to see brightwind just so quickly latch on to dance
3: oh that shit was mad cute i oh like God, that right? a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
4: like that's that's part of her iconic look with the bow and the arrow and on the horse so we get a little bit of a convoluted Plot thread to get Danny Moonstar, her Valkyrie. While I squeed with joy when I saw it, I and I love that page dearly. Do we think it was necessary to have that little extra plot thread to get from point A to point B? It, it,
2: it was a little, uh, felt a little forced to me that just by being in that realm it it made her have powers because of at one point she was a valkyrie and all of her timeline exists at that point if that's how i uh understood it that's
4: the same way i understood you so yeah
2: okay it yeah it was it it felt a little forced unfortunately
3: yeah i definitely was not a fan of it of that choice like at all like i really wish that they could have decided something different like to have her be valkyrie for the time being but i agree you could have been like look hella's giving you your powers back oh and then bam
4: she got her
3: because you know hella always pops in somehow (laughs) (laughs) hella is
4: hella invested in danny moonstar so (laughs) She is. <laughs> she really is. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was, I had to say that. Sorry.
3: <laughs> she okay. could pull down little Danny Moonstar tracking device.
6: <laughs> She's got like
4: she she puts it on Brightwind. She's like Danny Moonstar is just you know like at the 7-Eleven with Brightwind. Hella shows up. She's like ah tracking me again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's amazing actually. Um, back in the spirit realm, Brunhilde is chastised by Ivanar for meddling in the affairs of the living. Do you agree with Brunhilde's assessment? Should a battle with the dead be fought by the dead? Or should those resting in Valhalla leave their concerns for the mortal world behind, as Ivanir suggests?
3: You know, it's tricky.
4: <laughs> <laughs> right? I don't have a good I, answer to this one.
3: <laughs> you know, normally, if there's a character like this who says, hey, you shouldn't do that in comics people are just going to, like, say fuck that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) They are. Yeah. No, chances are, you know, things might get a little crazy, but they sound to be fine. So I trust her judgment on going against that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I agree, too. Since a large part of this battle is involving the dead, it makes sense for the the warriors of Valhalla to assist, because, I mean, they're also dead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> while I do understand that they're really only supposed to be preparing for Ragnarok, if the... Spirit world is being attacked by this uh this celestial. Then they aren't going to be able to collect any more warriors.
4: That's true. That is a true point. They'll run out. Because, <laughs> they will
2: because that's where Sentry was was headed. Valkyrie was taking him to Valhalla, Valhalla, but he was captured. And so
4: the weird thing about Ragnarok, right? So it already happened, but it, is it cyclical? Is, that's what it is. So it, it's bound to happen over and over and over again or... yeah okay because i'm kind of like i'm like but they already had ragnarok why would they be afraid of it coming oh it's a cycle <laughs> um i i personally think that with the way that death is a revolving door in the marvel universe i would think that the those reciting in valhalla would say well you know what we're probably going to be alive in like 20 days anyway so let's help them out <laughs> <laughs> that's but you know i don't know i don't know how much uh outside of the superhero realm i don't i don't I guess that there's not as much rebirth among this the normal mortal population of 616. Um, so we come to one of my favorite parts of the issue surprisingly like you'd think it would be Dandy Moonstar which it almost is but the battle between Hildegard and she is wearing her best like gender bent Thor cosplay to me I'm like that's amazing and she takes on the one true queen of Krakoa a nullified Aurora. So she's fighting a battle that we oh. know she really has no hopes of winning. Were any of you guys surprised at the end when Hildegard loses and appears being nullified.
3: That show was
4: sad as fuck. Like I know, I was like, oh my god. I was like,
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm. That was definitely the heartbreak of the issue. You thought that she was gonna succeed and then oh look, it's null and she's captured, just oh. like everybody else. Oh,
4: I need a quick resolution to that because like if they just replace Thor with Hildegard, I think I would buy Thor a lot more and read it a lot more. <laughs> but <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I think but, a yeah. lot of Thor <laughs> <laughs> Man, like I'm like okay, cool. If she shows up in Thor a lot, I need to like read Thor a lot more thoroughly because hildegard is so awesome. I'm like a new stand. So, what are you guys hoping for in the final part of the series that's coming up? Um, I I know I'm just hoping to see more glorious Dandy Moonstar and Brightwind. Maybe they sneak off in Brightwind returns to Krakoa. Um, that's definitely what I'm looking for, you know. But what do you guys look for? <sighs>
2: I hope that this other Valkyrie finally finds some redemption and is able to rejoin the rest of her sisters. And, I mean, they, they've they got to, they have to save Sentry.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just don't want him to come. I just don't want him to come in and be the, like, oh, I'm going to save the day kind of thing, like, you know, I, I kind of want them to save
2: it. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think he's going to be the damsel in distress. Yeah. Um. I
4: would really like that. Sure. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that role reversal so much.
3: You know, I'm really looking forward to see what uh, Hildegard's like nullified version is going to look like. Ooh. Like, I'm it's, very curious for that, and yeah. if it's going to, you know, potentially get a Funko Pop. <laughs> <laughs> all about the merch. <laughs> no. Yeah. Oh, my God. That would be amazing, um, though. Yeah. And then, like, you know, for her being nullified, it also begs the question of which of these characters are we going to see, like, go, like fighting her? Oh, yeah. Like, is it going to be all of them, or is it only going to be, like, one? Oh. Oh, no.
4: Oh, no. Oh. She she would be the easiest one to fight Hildegard because she has maybe the least uh, attachment to her. I think she would Mm -hmm. be probably the best one to take her down. Like, even Danny Moonstar, I'm like, I'm like, do they all know Danny Moonstar? Do they like, they're like, oh, yeah, you were a Valkyrie, so we all know you. (laughs) 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 Or they're like, you're the human who was a Valkyrie. You're weird, but we know who you are. Don't worry, we all know who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, random thoughts, I think, so um but i i did also i loved love storm showing up as the nullified villain that hildegard fight fought even though hildegard lost in the end which we all we all knew that was going to happen right when she was fighting storm we're like there's no way she's gonna dorm. no way
2: no no there's no way especially since the symbiote's weakness is supposed to be electricity i think there's really only one person who can really help
4: <laughs> true <laughs> oh no so yeah that kind like gives new meaning to those lightning strikes that Storm was sending down. She's like, I gotta make sure there's no symbiote down there. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. I think it's it's continuing to be a fun book. I just hope that things don't get split between so many storylines in the final issue. Um, I just want everything to everybody to kind of join up at some point so that we're not bouncing back and forth so much. I,
4: yeah, you know what? That's a, that's a really good point. It, they, they really have to wrap this up. <laughs> and I, I think, too, if you don't have the warriors of Valhalla come and help, then that kind of make Brune Hilda's arc in the whole story. Maybe not pointless, but you know, th- there's no, I'll just say it, there's, there would be no real point for it if Brunhilda doesn't lead the Valhalla army uh, against the spirit world of Null. Uh, Robbie, any final thoughts you have?
3: uh I'm definitely very excited for, to see what they have in the next issue, but I definitely agree that I really hope it's eventually able to, you know, like conclude itself with a nice little bow. That'll make us happy. Yes. And to see, and it'll be nice, like, once all the Valkyries are, like, side-by-side side open ass. Yes. Uh, like, I yeah, I really hope that we could have, like, a nice little wrapped-up ending where it's not too, like, like you said, convoluted.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying, like, and, and thinking about it long term, too, like, the idea of rebuilding the Valkyries has been something that marvel has toyed with at least since fearless defenders um that was like the whole that was the whole point of that story it was trying to help rebuild the valkyrie which was amazing if, if you guys haven't read it you guys should had um misty knight it had hilda um and danny moonstar were the main the main characters and then they fleshed it out a little bit more at the end but like ever since that art marvel's been playing with rebuilding the valkyries and i would love the to a totally rebuilt valkyrie community and i really really need to see danny moonstar part of it even if they have to take her out of the book, which would suck because Vita is writing Danny Moonstar, so amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.